In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I promised that on this Pledge Sunday, I would not talk about money. <laughs> then I read the Gospel. <laughs> but I will keep my promise because I believe that this gospel lesson gives us an opportunity to consider some other aspects of stewardship besides just our financial stewardship and our stewardship of time. So I think that this uh, lesson, this gospel lesson, gives us an opportunity to consider other aspects of stewardship, and I hope to do that with you this morning. And particularly to talk about the stewardship of the environment. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to attend the first annual uh, energy summit, which was put on by our diocese. It was an interfaith gathering, and we held it at uh, WGBH. And any of you who know that uh, the work that they've been doing in uh, designing and building the new studios that they have in Brighton, they're a wonderful facility. And even though uh, a television studio and a radio studio takes an enormous amount of, of electrical energy, they have gone out of their way in order to make that a place that is very sensitive to the environment. So they have really, I think, even stretched further than many others would because they're very conscious of the fact that they use a lot of electricity. It's an amazing place. And they have done so many things that all of us can learn from. It was, uh, it was great to be there, not just among Episcopalians, but there were also some others representing other faith communities. And it was, it was interesting to hear from some of them that they are really thinking way beyond us and have gone a lot further. And it's time, I think, for us as a church to think more clearly about what it is that we might do. Our own Brian Rossborough was part of the design team for that conference, and he was also a presenter. I think it was really one of the best conferences that I've attended in the diocese, primarily because I left there with some very specific and clear uh, takeaways, things that could easily be done. It was also interesting for us to be able to see 15 minutes of a two-hour documentary of, by Frontline, which will be aired this Tuesday night on PBS, so I hope you'll, you'll make note of that. And the title of it is Heat. And it's a two-hour documentary of how the uh, global warming is affecting the earth and, and affecting human, humankind as well. It's a wonderful documentary. I hope you will take the time to watch it. Well, the summit was an excellent opportunity for us to explore very practical things like how do you save on heat and oil, and as well to talk about the spiritual aspects of the environmental issues before us. Many of you know that so many churches in the diocese are holy stacks of stone, as they were referred to yesterday, and some of them not very tight. So there's a real issue before us, I think, as a diocese in many of these smaller churches, especially with limited resources, who face the reality of a boiler that's not in good shape, the costs of heating oil, and what to do with all of that, and at the same time to be conscious of the needs of the environment. Well, Brian Rossborough opened the conference with a very compelling presentation about the impact of environmental warming and environmental change. And he started that by talking about, if you took a look at climatic change, climatic data, over three million years, you would see the cycles of warming and cooling, ice ages and then warming periods. 
And then he said something that I find particularly interesting and humbling. And that is that civilization as we know it is possible because of the warming that has occurred in about a 10,000 to 15,000 year period. In other words, our time on this globe has been like that. It's been an instant in comparison with the span of time of this earth. And yet in a very short period of time, it seems that the cycle, rather than going now from this warm period into a cooling period and maybe into an ice age, even as, as he said, with perhaps even a mile or a mile and a half of ice over where we were meeting, it's not happening that way. But instead, the earth is continuing to warm more. He talked about the fact that leading scientists have attributed this, of course, to uh, the increasing amounts of carbon dioxide, CO2, that's being emitted into the atmosphere. And one can see and look at the data from the uh, pre-industrial period and, and the time now after we've been well into the industrial age of how that has changed and how it's increased. And I was startled to learn that the current levels of CO2 are the highest levels seen in 200,000 years. Well, the impact of this global warming is, is amazing. It is, uh, it is having a tremendous effect on human beings. Scholars are predicting that 50 million people worldwide will be displaced by 2010 as a result of rising sea levels, desertification, dried up aquifers, weather-induced flooding, and other serious climatic action. And we know that part of the reason that the hurricanes are so bad on the Gulf Coast is because the Gulf, I think, is as warm as it has been in many, many generations. So this is a real thing that is happening now, something that we have to pay attention to now. I think that the gospel today uh, gives me at least an opportunity not to talk about money, but to talk about what is really God's. What belongs to God? And what is our responsibility to that which belongs to God? In this particular account, uh, there are two groups of people that are challenging Jesus. There are the Pharisees who are religious and are uh, passionately nationalistic. They care about their nation and they very much dislike the oppression of the Roman government. And then there are the Herodians. And the Herodians are supporters of Herod, who is being propped up as a puppet by the Romans. So in a sense, there are two political parties that have come to Jesus, and he is obviously their enemy. And, he's, and they set out to trip him up with a question. They ask him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, he knows that if he answers that it is, that then those Pharisees will make it clear to the people that he is not loyal to his nation. But if he says that you cannot pay taxes to Caesar, we should, that they should not pay taxes to Caesar, then the Herodians will go back to the Roman authorities and say that he is treasonous. So to simply answer the question, Jesus would be in a terrible trap. But he does something that probably surprises them. He asks a very simple question. Will one of you give me a coin that's used to pay the taxes? Now, there's a New Testament scholar by the name of Sarah Dillon Breuer. And uh, Dillon says something that I had never noticed before as she writes about this. 
And we have to keep in mind that this incident occurs during Holy Week, the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. He made the triumphal entry as the people are gathering for Passover. And then we know that at one point he goes uh, into the temple and he sees the money changers and is so upset with what has happened to the house of God that he overthrows the tables of the money changers. But it's important for us to know in thinking about this passage, which comes after that, an encounter that occurs after the tipping over of the money changers tables, that the money changers had a very uh, clear purpose. If you were carrying Roman coins, you could not bring those coins on further into the temple and certainly not offer them for sacrifice. So it was necessary to change the Roman coins into temple coinage. Now, when Jesus asked the question, and the reason for that was because it has the head of Caesar on it, and it's a violation of the first commandment, and bearing that coin into the temple would be blasphemy. So now Jesus is standing in the temple, being, uh, uh, being trapped or tripped up by these two parties, and he says, show me a coin that's used to pay the taxes, and they pull out a denarius with the head of Caesar on it, and he says, you hypocrites. Now, suddenly the conversation has changed. Now the burden is on them because here they are in the temple, not abiding by their own prescription that they should change those coins before coming into the temple because of the figure of Caesar on the coin. And by moving the conversation, then Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Well, the question, of course, that this raises for us, I think, is what is it that belongs to God? What is it that God owns that we should be careful of, that we should pay attention to? And, of course, for Christians, the answer is that all of God's creation belongs to God. We are simply the stewards of that creation. We are the ones into whose hands it's been entrusted. We are the ones who are to care for it. Yesterday, I learned something that I didn't particularly want to hear, and that was that uh, they estimate that about 27% of the world's CO2 emissions come from the United States. It's what we in the United States put off. Now, it's also we need to recognize that countries like China and India that are rapidly developing have enormous amounts of emissions and perhaps will be catching up with us. The other thing that I was surprised to hear was that 40% of our emissions come from our buildings and the way we heat and cool them. So that gives us a very clear idea of where we should perhaps focus our attention. I think that I have lived most of my life not thinking very much about the, the impact of my actions and the way I live on the world around me. But the truth is that we live as a part of a web And it's an interdependent web. And that web also has uh, interdependent responsibilities. And we must be responsible as a part of that web for what we do. And the way we live our lives has has an impact on polar bears in Alaska and on children in Africa. We do not live as independent human beings without having any effect on what goes on around us. It seems to me that 
Now is the time for us as individuals and as a church to recognize this isn't something that other people talk about. This is something we need to talk about. This has to do with the way we live our lives. And it has to do with the kind of example we offer to our children. I believe there are some very specific things that we can do that can make a difference. One of the things that I believe we need is a sustainability committee in our congregation. And I say that because we don't only need people who have a passion for the environment, but we need those that have technical skill about things like HVAC systems and who have an understanding of the physics that is involved in all of this so that we can look at our, ourselves, our homes, the way we live, and we can look at our church, our physical plant, the facilities that we have right now, and see how it might be possible for us to have a smaller impact on the environment. I think that's one thing we can do. Another thing that we can do as we are in this process of developing a master plan for our facilities is to be sure, and we've passed this on to the architects, to be sure that the technologies that are incorporated in the design ultimately are technologies that are friendly to the environment. And we saw this so well at WGBH yesterday. They even have green, a green roof which helps to, uh, helps to uh, serve as a lung, a one lung at least, in, in this world. There are many possibilities for us if we only look at them and consider and many easy ways that we can make a difference in the way we live in our homes and certainly in our church. I also believe that we need, we need to make a commitment that is understood as a faith commitment this is something that's an expression of who we are as Christians. Because as Christians, we, we must recognize that we have a responsibility to the creation that God has given us. I spoke at a forum uh, last spring sometime and talked about the changes that I had seen. I didn't talk very long, and I quickly went through some of the changes I saw in South Dakota over about a 50-year period. And I won't go into detail about them, but I will tell you that it is enough to make you cry when you see what has happened to the land. There are water towers out in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota because the aquifers have been polluted with the runoff from the fields and from the, from the feedlots. And as you look out on the horizon, you see uh, these ethanol plants that are cooking corn and using enormous amounts of water and energy so that we can be satisfied that we're using biomass fuels. In the meantime, there are people who are starving because there's not enough food in parts of the world, but we're burning it. I could go on and on about what it looks like back there, but we need to look at what it looks like here and the kind of changes that have occurred here or that have not occurred that we need to make happen. Brian ended his talk yesterday by saying, Today the environment is calling, and you are the called. And I would add to that that God is calling. I think God is calling us not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. 
If you think about how Matthew talks about Jesus' ministry as it goes along, soon there are large crowds and they're following him and people love to hear him preach and teach and heal. And they all want to be there and see all of that. But there's only a small group that follows him. Because following means doing. We are called to be followers of Jesus. Not just to hear the words and to be in joy about what we hear but rather to follow what it is that he invites us to do. I believe that we are at a point in time when we as Christians, as the church, must say that this is a priority of our faith. This is a priority for us as Christians. Today, after this service, uh, the children of the parish have made some gifts for us as thank yous for what we have provided for them so that they have an opportunity to be here and grow in faith and to be a part of this faith community. And I think as we receive those gifts, it's important for us to remember that caring for God's creation is perhaps the greatest gift that we can give to them. What attitudes and values will we model for them? Will they see us following Christ in caring for all of God's creation, all that God has given us? Will they believe us when we say that we care for all that God has given us? And the question that I think is hardest, at least for me to answer, is what kind of a world will we be leaving to them? Amen.